0: mm <laughs> Welcome to Barbarian Noetics, the podcast dedicated to the human spirit. I'm your host, Conan Tanner. On today's episode, we speak with economic blogger, scholar, and mother of two, Econ Mom. Econ Mom writes alongside Law Mom for their shared blog, Moms on Eleven. You can find their blog online at www.momson11.com. In today's episode, we talk about parenting, economics, patriarchy, Scandinavian social policy, and a host of other topics. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did, and enjoy. Peace. Hello, this is Conan Tanner of Barbarian Noetics. Is this Econ Mom?
1: That's me. I'm here.
0: Thank you so much for being part of the podcast.
1: You're welcome. I'm so excited to be on my first podcast. I can't wait.
0: Is this your first podcast?
1: It is. Maybe I shouldn't have said that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was going to try to play it like I was a little more uh, experienced <laughs> well, with the podcast. Now, now as we bumble through, everyone will know why. No, that's exciting. I feel, we feel honored to have uh, Econ's Econ Mom's first ever podcast. This is a historic event.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, thank you.
0: <laughs> um, so uh, last week we spoke with, um, I don't know if you, you would necessarily call her your partner, but um, Law Mom, who you do your uh, your blog with. Would you call each other partners or do you just both contribute to the blog?
1: Um, Oh, yeah, I would definitely call her my partner and also sort of, like, confidant and maybe even, I would say, sister from another mister. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) She's, like, um, the only person who gets me, like, you don't even know, honestly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So for listeners that missed last week, uh, last week I interviewed a law mom who, along with econ mom, who we're speaking with right now, Uh, they do a blog together. And uh, I was wondering, Econ Mom, would you tell us a little bit about the blog that you two do together?
1: Sure. Yeah. So Law Mom was the one who kind of came up with this idea and approached me about it. And I thought it sounded amazing. Basically, we're writing about the struggle of being working moms, and especially kind of professional working moms in that sense that we have those professional jobs. So, I mean, there's lots of people who work to varying degrees and – We even struggle with using the term working mom because, of course, all moms are always working, as you know, but um, working for pay and sort of working in industries that are not super flexible. So we both kind of have had our struggles with that and felt like we just wanted to, I don't know, share, possibly vent (laughs) to the world about it. So um, she came up with the awesome title, Moms on 11, which she probably talked about last week, but sort of means like you've dialed it up past a 10 so you're on 11 like all the time and that is how it feels sometimes when it's like we're stressed out and my sister commented recently like we're also the fun
0: police now
1: (laughs) we're moms we're always like get down from there don't touch that oh my god
0: Yeah, so she mentioned the name of the blog, and I I, I didn't even think to ask. I thought maybe just 11 was the lucky number, so she didn't explain that. So um, I am very thankful that you just explained that to us.
1: Yeah, no, I loved it when she told me the concept of, like, kind of where it came from. Her husband, I guess, called her that, and she sort of at first took it as an insult, but then I think decided to reappropriate it and say, you know what? <laughs> this is not an insult. Like, I am dialed up to 11 because I'm doing a lot of freaking stuff. And it, I guess it comes from this movie, and now it's escaping me what this movie is called, so I feel bad. But this movie where there's this band, and they're totally ridiculous, and it's like a fake band movie. And you know what? I'm just going to stop there because that's not making any sense. <laughs> There's a link on our blog if you go to it. There's a little movie clip, and then you'll know
0: what I'm talking about. Okay, cool. But is it like – why is the movie clip on your blog?
1: Oh, just to explain where the name came from because in this movie, there's these guys that have a band, and they're like, we want this amp, but we want it to go to 11 instead of 10.
0: (laughs) Got it. (laughs)
1: So it it makes sense if you watch it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, we we definitely touched on. um, So the the name of this podcast, Barbarian Noetics. Um, Noetics is the uh, study of the intellect or the mind, and obviously, Barbarian is um, has a reputation for being kind of a a animalistic, fearsome warrior. Although I would take some issue with that because um, the barbarian was kind of a derogative term uh, by people who were typically conquered by barbarians. But for the for the purpose of this podcast, we're all barbarians. Um, but but we're we're all navigating this world together, this complex world. And I can't think of anything kind of more complicated than trying to um, pursue a career, go to school, and be a mom all at the same time. Um, yeah, like this is
1: complicated. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if it's the most complicated thing, but I definitely agree with that. I mean, it was it was crazy.
0: Did you? Were you surprised at how difficult it's been to juggle all the responsibilities, or did you kind of have a sense that this was going to be real challenging?
1: Oh my gosh, I was totally surprised. I had no sense of anything, and I I tell people now our plan. I mean, even at the time, I knew our plan was crazy. But when I got married to my husband, I, and we had kind of the economics, and we had kind of talked about having kids and we weren't sure. And all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I don't even know if I'm going to get into school and I don't like what I'm doing now. Career wise, let's just try to have a kid. And if we, you know, get pregnant and have a kid and I do get into school, well, I'll have like six months at home and then I'll be able to start school after six months, which is like way more maternity leave than most jobs get. Right. right. So I was like, How hard could this possibly be? (laughs) And I mean, now I just tell the story and just laugh and people are like, oh, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. I'm like, I know. Like, don't try this, you guys. Never try. I mean, yeah, it was a bad idea. For one thing, I underestimated how hard grad school would be because I had been an electrical engineer and I just thought, well, you know, I'm good at school. I'm good at math. Like, what what could go wrong here? Uh, And and that was – it was hard. I mean – then they don't really give you an option to do part-time. So that was the kind of my very first roadblock that I ran into uh-huh. where I specifically asked for basically an accommodation to say, right. you know, I have a newborn baby. Um, is it possible for me to not take a full load of classes? And they said, no, you have to take these first year classes kind of at the same time as everyone else in your cohort. So there's no room for flexibility there. So. Wow. That was a, a busy year, and I mean, in some ways, that first year of grad school was the busiest year of all of these years because your course load is heavy. So, I mean, I was in class for, I don't know, 10 hours a week or something, and then you have a lot of homework for each class, and the classes are moving really fast because it's a PhD program, right. and my son started getting sick all the time because he went to daycare. Oh. So, I that was something that... I'm sure I had heard people mention, you know, kids get sick a lot or something, but obviously I just had no sense of what I was getting into. And then your kid's sick for a couple of days, you miss a few classes and then you're behind and then you can see how
0: it's just like a constant Not to mention probably you got sick sometimes too, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, of course, yeah. And I was one of those people who was like, I never get sick, blah, 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 blah. because I think a lot of us in our twenties don't get sick that often. It's probably because we never hang out with kids, <laughs> <laughs> which is a whole another issue of like the age segregation in our society. But anyway, um, I definitely got sick. Like he would get sick, and then he wouldn't sleep. So a combination of like the germs plus like rundown immunity from not sleeping. Then I would get sick, and then like I don't know, my husband would get sick, and we'd just kind of pass around in our house, and we were. And the thing that was hardest for me, I think, then was. My son was in daycare, so there's specific rules about, you know, if they have a fever, they have to stay home for 24 hours after their phase. and day And I mean, the cough would stick around for days and days. And I mean, the cough would stick around for days and days. And I think, well, I have to get back to school because I've already missed so much class. But my son doesn't really feel better better. So I just felt terrible making him go to daycare all day when he was still like a little bit under the weather, you
0: know? yeah, that's what I was thinking this whole time, though all the while all this stuff is happening, uh, meanwhile your your coursework is moving along at this brisk brisk pace. So on top yeah. of that. oh yeah, else, it doesn't for you. <laughs> On top of everything else, then you know, like like uh, i I'm just my own individual person. I just have to take care of myself. and when I get sleep deprived, I feel like I can't handle anything. So I can't even imagine being sleep deprived, not feeling one hundred percent. Being a mom, <laughs> having your child be, be not feeling a hundred percent, and then having to do a PhD program—like, honestly, econ mom, like I don't think I could do any one of those items. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I don't think that's true. But I don't know <laughs> what
0: that says about me, but
1: <laughs> no, you know what? You could well. So, so let me say this, and I like to be, you know, super realistic about stuff too, and like get into the grittiness of it because it was not a pretty thing that happened and I think people sometimes go through something like this and they come out successful in the end and they're like you can do it too you can juggle everything but there's like trade-offs that have to be made right so I mean with my classes I I was like you know basically a straight A student probably a lot like law mom we were those conscientious students that decide to keep on going to school forever get degrees because we love it and I was not getting straight A's. I mean, I was barely scraping by some of those classes. Like I would do as much as I could do of each homework assignment and just turn in what I had done. And sometimes that was like not a lot. So that was kind of like the ugly part of it. And then, you know, you just do what you gotta do. But luckily in the second quarter, one of my TAs found out that I had a kid. I actually didn't really make that super public at first. Um, but he found out and then I didn't turn in one of my homework assignments at all because I hadn't even done it. And then he said, Hey, you know, you can turn this in late to me, just like turn it in next week sometime. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Like this guy is so nice. And I feel like I definitely should have been more proactive, like asking for stuff like that. But I also felt like it's kind of this competitive environment where people are trying to be like, I'm really good at this. And no one's asking for help and plus all my professors honestly they were old white men i just didn't really feel like they would get it yeah. i came to them and said hey my kid's sick i mean one of my professors literally one time a few years into the program i was pregnant with my second child and We were having making some small talk about that, and I said something about changing diapers, and he said, "Oh yeah, well, you know, my wife did all that."
0: Oh my gosh! (laughs) I was
1: like, "I know."
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right? Tell me something I don't know, sir. (laughs)
1: I'm like, that's shocking. You like. 70-something man, like
0: I'm not surprised. Yeah, so I'm going to hit pause real quick because I have so many comments and questions for you about uh, all all the stuff you've been sharing so far. So uh, last week with Law Mom, um, one of the things we spoke about uh, was how um, our society decidedly does not do enough to support moms in general and much less moms who are pursuing careers. Um, and so what I get from your story is that this TA was like had a heart, and he had the power, he had the authority to be able uh, to adjust the program to help you out a little bit. But was it the first, didn't you say that your first professor didn't want to give you any flexibility?
1: Um, well, so the first time I was kind of asking for flexibility was really with the program coordinator, who's not a professor, but just asking if I could do a part-time course load, and they said no.
0: So the program coordinator was the first one that kind of gave you the impression that, okay, they're not going to cut me any slack, even though I'm like a brand new mom.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, that that was the impression that I got. And so, like I said, I mean, I didn't really ask for accommodations from any of my professors, especially in those beginning classes. I just felt like, you know what, I'm going to go in here and try to get done when I can get done and see what happens. And really, my mantra during a lot of that first year was like, I'm just gonna stay in this program until they kick me out. Nice, <laughs> yeah. if I fail my classes, you know, and I get kicked out, so be it. Um, luckily, the way that program works too is that you have to take this big exam during at the end of the summer, after your first year. And that's really what kind of makes or breaks your continuation in the program. It's not so much about what your grades are per se, so, I was able to catch up a lot during the summer because I was really focused and I said, I need to pass this exam on the first try or I'm going to not continue with this because they will allow you to try again later, but I was like, I'm only going to have more stuff that I'm juggling later, it's not going to be better. So, yeah. I really buckled down and was able to get that done. Um, but. Yeah, I just didn't feel like there was a lot of flexibility, and there there just wasn't any kind of sense of like, oh, we understand what it's like to be a parent. There's very few parents going through the programs, and I mean, almost no moms. There is not a single female in my year or the year after me,
0: wow. maybe yeah, with
1: like I, a couple of years that had kids. So,
0: yeah, that's it, it blows my mind because that's one thing that literally everyone has in common is we all had moms like literally <laughs> that's every, true right. everyone was yeah it was reared you know came out of a womb like and and it just blows my mind that as a society um there's these roadblocks and not more accommodation for for moms that are in my opinion kind of heroically trying to take on so much while also ushering in the next generation like it doesn't get much more important than that so it's like you know these old white men it's like it It shouldn't matter that they're old white men. I just, I'm so baffled as to why, what it is about our society specifically, because you know, the U S has the the least amount of maternity leave too, of any country in the developed world. And I just, I wonder like, what do you think that is? Like, what causes that?
1: Oh my gosh. I don't know what causes it exactly. I mean, definitely there's a lot of, um, market fetishism, maybe I don't know how to say that word. (laughs) Market fetishism. Um, Yeah, like there's a lot of sort of neoliberal stuff, right, that we've been fed over the last several decades, I think. Um, And of course, as an economist, I'm supposed to love the free market. But um, (laughs) I think the really interesting thing about going through learning economics and being a mom is I can see right there what you're talking about, some of the places where the market system kind of fails (laughs) in, in a lot of cases. And I think there's just this super hardcore anti-tax rhetoric that people have been fed for so long. And obviously programs like maternity leave and child care, they cost money. So you do have to pay for those somehow. And um, we just have this huge anti-tax thing going on for a lot of reasons. Like I don't really know all of them, but
0: yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hard uh, to
1: fight that.
0: It's hard to fight that. The People have been fed this, this, this narrative. And for some reason it's been really successful that like – you know, uh, universal healthcare is socialism, but roads are not socialism. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Precinct. It's very
1: cherry picked. I know.
0: <laughs> and and yet, like um, you know, people talk about like, and I'm not saying it's it's obviously not good to game the the benefit system. That's not a not a cool thing to do. But in terms right. of like, uh, you know, the welfare queen phenomenon versus what the 40 something percent of the annual entire gdp that goes to the military industrial complex (laughs) Mm is like how you know what i mean like how how did this get because i understand people are anti-tax but then they're not at the same time it's like they're totally okay with um you know with just the the military budget getting bigger and bigger every year and yet it's like, well, who's going to be around to do the fighting? <laughs> oh, know,
1: my like, gosh. I, that's a good question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I said, it's the one thing that ties everything together is is moms, literally. Uh, women, you know, continuing the species. It, it really doesn't get any more foundational than that. And so, um, I mean, honestly part of why I wanted to do this podcast is to tackle issues like that and so you know at least maybe hopefully we can do our parts uh, you through your blog you know me through this podcast each individual person who believes um kind of in what we're talking about can do their own individual part to 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 shift humanity and and just keep working and fighting the good fight I guess is all you can do because um sometimes it feels like you're a salmon swimming upstream (laughs) Oh, yeah. the culture.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's It's really tough. And, I mean, I did, did not have an appreciation for how tough it is until I went through it. So I think that's one thing is that people that don't have their own children don't fully realize just how much work it is and how the cards are kind of stacked against you in a lot of little subtle ways. Um, I guess, like, the the hill that I would die on for this, really, is that men need to spend more time with their children. hmm like that's my number one thing that I kind of realized as I went through this process is how we take for granted the fact that it's okay for men to work busy jobs, you know, like work 12 hours a day. If they're a stockbroker or a doctor or whatever it is, because it's important and because they're feeding their family and no one ever judges them for like not seeing their kids all week. And I think we should, I mean, I think that the problem with a lot of, Feminism, I mean, I don't want to criticize where we've gotten to this point because people before me have made huge strides to where I can even do what I'm doing today at all. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot about bringing women over to be exactly like men. It's like, let's just make us change. So we go to work and we wear pants and we earn money and we do all these things and now we're just like men. But that wasn't totally the right answer. It's like we needed to meet in the middle somewhere. Men need to do... You know, obviously, people always say men need to do more housework and stuff, but they need to take more responsibility for that and care about it, like care that their kids get to school on time and care that they see them and tuck them into
0: bed and all that. Yeah, that is fascinating. I never had thought of it quite in that manner, that that uh, this kind of uh, – this this goal, this unstated goal was sort of to – yeah, for women to um, assume you know the, the same sort of uh, – I don't know, societal – Personas and responsibilities as men, without the other, without it being a two-way street, and having men, um, you know, uh, assume some of the responsibilities of of the moms and the, the women. That's that's fascinating.
1: Well, thank you. I I think so too. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad you agree. I mean, honestly, I think part of why I came to that conclusion too is that economics. You know, like I said, it is a pretty competitive industry or field. You know, and I kind of struggled a lot as I went through the PhD about whether I want an academic job or not. And I talked about this on the blog sometimes specifically because I felt like I had kind of the angel and devil thing on the two shoulders. And one side kind of saying like, you know, you could do it. You could be a professor. Like you're like hardworking and smart and motivated and it would be exciting because you publish papers and you have this like prestige that goes along with this job. And then the other side saying like, how would that be good for your family? Like, Hey, how can you even do it? Cause you're already like sleep deprived and all this. <laughs> and, and like B, I mean, it's just like, how is that good for your kids? And do you really want to spend the next seven years trying to get tenure, which is something where you're working your butt off, like nonstop to try and get tenure yeah. and miss basically miss like formative years of your kid's life. But guess what? Men do it all the time. For sure. So then I have to ask myself, like, should I want to do that and feel like it's okay to do that because men do it? Or should I ask myself, like, should men ever be okay doing this?
0: You know, it's almost like, I feel like we need to think outside the box even and, and almost like transcend the whole roles of, um, you know, like, oh, this is for the mom and this is for the dad and, and start to think about how can we shift like the whole apparatus of how of how things work to be kind of more like child friendly in a way. Um,
1: yeah, no, I think that's another thing, too, is, like, I think our society in general is not super child-friendly.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, huh? Or it's like you said, it's kind of, like, segregated. Like, there's this world for kids, and then there's, like, the world for folks without kids, and and they're seen as, like, two separate universes, and I think that that's uh, um, kind of, like, insidiously pushed through like, you know, like uh, things like sitcoms and movies and stuff like that, that reinforce these roles. When what mm-hmm. we, what we really need to do is reimagine the whole society. And there's, you know, there's no reason why we wouldn't be able to do that of like, what, what does it mean to be a mom? What does it mean to be a dad? What does it mean to have a family and kind of like the whole unit um, gelling? And then also like uh, beyond that, like the whole community, the whole you know the whole uh, village, the, the idea that it takes a village to raise a, a child, and how we can all kind of everyone can do their part um, for the betterment of, of the species. Like I said, it's just such a foundational thing to to be making sure our kids are raised well, and it, it's just uh, it all seems it all does still even in 2018 seem to fall on the mom, and you know like not to mention the the single moms out there and just the struggles. I have so many friends that are single moms, and it's just like. Damn, like Oh my gosh. Yeah,
1: that's like a whole nother level of craziness. (laughs) Yeah. I do not know how they do it sometimes. I mean, that is just
0: incredible. It's heroic. I mean it's like it gets done because it has to get done, but I've just seen like I said, I have for some reason I just I I tend to befriend uh like kind of I guess you would say like quote unquote strong independent women. And Mm -hmm. I a lot of times for whatever reason, at least in my experience, uh these women end up being single moms through no fault of their own. Typically, it's it's not their fault. <laughs> and then, Right, and then yeah, then no, you,
1: there's all kinds of reasons, but all yeah. all <laughs> kinds
0: of reasons. And then you see, like, I, I kind of, I, what I see is this transformation of someone who was um, kind of like this free agent in society and really, like, you know, like, moving and shaking, and then all that energy just gets diverted now to just being, to raising the child because it takes 110. It, yeah, she has to be on 11 all the time. Uh, right to raise the kids. So it's like all that all that potential energy uh, and creativity and ingenuity and, you know, entrepreneurship, it all just gets channeled one hundred percent into raising the child and, and that's tragic. You think of like how you know, all the gifts to, to society and culture that we're missing out on because we're not providing avenues for Single moms, but I would also include working moms or moms getting PhD programs, you know, in, in, a, <laughs> Thank in you. that equation. Um, really quick, I mean to ask uh, would you describe exactly what the program, is, Oh, I guess, was that you. Um, was, what was the PhD program?
1: Oh, like the PhD program, yeah. So it's a PhD in economics, and actually, I kind of am talking about it in the past tense like it's done, but it's not quite done yet because oh. I went through the whole program, I actually started in. 2011, um, and you take courses for the first two years. So, luckily, actually, in my elective courses, there was a little more flexibility. So, I pushed it into like two and a half years of taking classes, and then you earn a master's degree. And then, after that, you're supposed to be doing independent research and you have to write your dissertation. So, you need to write basically three papers, and then you kind of stick those papers together, and that becomes your dissertation. And um, just kind of a long story behind this, but one of my papers was basically done as part of a um, army project, so the army sponsored it. And I'm now just waiting for them to kind of sign off on it, so there's just paperwork issues, but essentially I was supposed to be done and have defended my dissertation a couple of months ago and <laughs> just waiting for the army. But I did go and start searching for a job and I actually found a job so it's not an academic job but I got a job as a research analyst in town here in San Diego and I'm actually super happy with that job so that has been kind of an awesome recent development in my life
0: That's great yeah you definitely you deserve all the good things and I have a feeling that um I feel I feel like there's a lot of good things coming down the pike for you cuz I just think in in life things find a balance and you've put so much energy out that I think you're going to start to find um, like with the story with that TA you know how you didn't even ask for the help but he somehow became aware um, you know that of of your challenge and then reached out to help you like I just I feel like there's going to be more of those occurrences Um, you're going to find that doors are going to open for you I just I think that that's inevitable
1: thank you yeah it does happen sometimes there's been some a few things that have happened I mean obviously a lot of curveballs thrown at me throughout this process um, you know the biggest one I guess which I talk about on the blog is that my older son was diagnosed with autism like three years into a program mm-hmm. so that was something where you know aside from just all the usual work of being a mom as we're talking about there's sort of a bunch of additional work on top of that where now someone's telling you that your child needs a whole bunch of therapy and different interventions and stuff and that takes up this huge amount of time and yeah I actually had a situation there where um, I'll try to make the story kind of short but I basically almost decided to quit the program at some point after putting my son in all these different therapies because I basically was just driving around and taking him to speech and OT and different programs all day and I got to a point where I said this isn't working and I'm gonna look for a job and I went online and started looking for jobs because I was like, there's just no way I can do the PhD. I mean, I'm not focused enough on it. It takes too much like mental effort. Like I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting anywhere. And as I was applying for jobs, I, I saw a job with Rand Corporation, which was this place that I like, always had really, really, really wanted to work for Cause I just had seen a lot of cool studies that came out of Rand and it was like kind of a dream job and they have this summer program. And I was like, I'm just going to apply for it. What the heck? And then I got, like, an email back from them, and they're saying, oh, we want to interview you for the summer program. And I was like, oh, my gosh, because, of course, I always, I guess, like, probably undersell myself, but I was just, like, so surprised that I was going to get an interview, and I talked to my husband, and I said, well, this thing is down in California, but do you think there's some way we can make it happen, because it would be so, so, so amazing, right? And he's like, I just can't see how it would be possible, because I can't put my job for, like, two or three months, and you can't go down there by yourself, like, Without the kids, but if you take the kids, I mean, there's just like no way for it to work, right? Yeah. So we talked about it. We're like, I can't, I can't do it. And that was kind of that last hour. Where I was like, That's it. The dream job like came and got like, I got this close to the dream job and I couldn't do it. And I have to say no. And I'm like, I'm done with all this, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'm just done. Mm-hmm. And I told my husband, I'm like, I'm done. And at that point, I didn't even have an official advisor committee and stuff yet, which is part of the whole PhD process, but. I had a professor that I'd been working with, so I said, I'm just gonna email her and tell her I'm done. And and of course, my husband was like, listen, you can't just email someone and tell them you're quitting. Like, You have to at least tell her in person, Like, goodness gracious. And <laughs> I was like, I don't want to, you know, but he twisted my arm, so I said, fine. So I emailed her and I said, can I meet with you on Tuesday? And she said, sure. And then um, I emailed the person at Rand and said, you know, I'm so grateful that you guys want to give me this opportunity, but I have to turn it down because of logistics with my kids, blah blah blah. And then I basically just shut my computer off and just cried because I was like, "I'm giving up. I'm done. Like I'm, this is done." And I mean, I felt like I'm doing the right thing for my kids. I mean, my son needed like a lot from me at that point, but I was so disappointed because I felt like I'd worked so hard doing all those classes already. Yeah, it just I put so much into it. And later that day, my husband was like, well, you know, what did the rand person say? And I was like, I don't know who effing cares. They probably were like, thanks for letting me know, whatever. Right. (laughs) But like, finally, like this is, this is a true story. (laughs) The next day I, for some reason, I finally had to check my email. So I opened it up again and I saw that the person had replied to my email and said, you know what? this project is for an army base that's near Seattle, so we could actually just have you work remotely for us from Seattle, like, would that work for you? Wow. And I was like, um, yes, it would work for me, <laughs> oh my god.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> so
1: it's was like literally the luckiest thing that's ever happened in my life, and I just feel like there's so much luck, I mean, both on the good side and the bad side, right? Like, right. Having a kid with special needs is like this huge curveball that's thrown at you. But then on the other hand, I had that door just open for me that was like miraculous, right? So that's the type of thing where nowadays when people talk about, like you mentioned, the welfare queen, right? I'm like, I don't want to hear about that. I mean, there's so much of where you are in life that has to do with pure luck, (laughs) I mean, yeah, there's some people that are lazy. That is true. But you shouldn't punish everyone because there's a few lazy people out there. I mean, there's so much stuff that's out of your control that you just can't even believe.
0: Yes. ah, oh, Amen. Preach, sister. Preach. <laughs> Thank <laughs> just, you. The other thing is, like, why is being lazy so horrible? Like, it's you know what I mean? Like, it's not the right. best. <laughs> it's not the best, but it's not, like, the end of the friggin' world. <laughs> like, so someone's lazy, you know? Like, at the end of the day, it's like they're... They're just kind of harming themselves at the end of the day. As long as they're not hurting anyone else, it's like you know, why don't you just kind of mind your own business? You know? I
1: know that's <laughs> you know? well, like the Puritan foundations of America or something, right? Like that's we all can't it, be lazy. That's <laughs> what it
0: is, and and you know, there's you know that that ethos is is so riddled with obviously flaws and neuroticisms, but then you know you can't deny uh, what. The American working class has achieved in you know our own history, and then also like how that's impacted the world. So it's uh, yeah. it, it kind of segues into a question I wanted to, to pose to you. So um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. We were talking about
1: sorry, I probably went off on like a major tangent there. Oh, no, too. It's
0: okay. <laughs> we talked about the working class and oh yeah, so um, so. I used to be a lot more kind of quote-unquote anti-capitalist like I don't know if I would have ever called myself a socialist probably more of an anarchist Um, and you know like with everything in life your belief systems Well, hopefully your belief systems evolve I think it's healthy for belief systems to evolve and Lately, I, I've been trying to, um, my motto, my mantra lately has been, because um, with, with everything being so divisive right now with, you know, our situation politically, and we can get into that later if you want, but everything is so divisive right now, and people are so like us and them about everything, and so mm-hmm. my mantra has been um, to try to walk a mile in, in like the, the, the person who I find like the most sort of repugnant, that I'm most like uh, repelled by, to really make an effort to try to like walk a mile in their shoes and see, really see the world from their perspective, in an effort to better understand, because it's like we're all in this together, you know, we're all on this this boat. Like if you start shooting holes in one side of the boat, it's not going to go well for the people on yeah. the other side of the boat. It's like so. Right. Um, so this brings me to my question of let's. There's no denying that the free market has has been really successful in many ways and uh, the capitalist model has achieved a lot of good things you know obviously there's there's drawbacks and you know environmental degradation being probably chief among them but the mechanism of the marketplace is not necessarily a bad or evil thing and so how do you think how could and and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here so it's okay if you can't think No of it's cool. right go after for that. it. but how do you think that we could uh Instead of like tearing down the system and building it all fresh, or like going 100% socialist, how do you think we could use the system that we have right now, free market capitalism? Use that system to push society in a in a, a specifically for the purpose of this conversation to push society in a more child-friendly manner to make it um, like economically to give economic incentives to make life easier for working moms and single moms. Do you think that's possible? And if so, what are some ideas of how we might be able to achieve that?
1: Um, yeah, definitely. So yeah, you just said a lot of stuff there. And I mean, I definitely am not like so in love with capitalism per se either. I mean, <laughs> even though there's good points to it, right? I mean, it's it's beautifully efficient. I mean, that's what they kind of teach you in economics is how efficient it is, right? you have the supply and demand curve and it meets up and all this stuff happens. Um, But at the same time in grad school, you learn more about what's not in those models. And that's one thing that I'm kind of going off a tangent here a little bit, but it's a little bit of a pet peeve that I've come to have going through grad school is how we teach economics to undergraduates because some of the kind of like, Pedantic viewpoints that people have about markets come from taking like one kind of econ 101 class mm. Where they'll say something like oh look if you raise a minimum wage It creates unemployment because look at the supply and demand curve that you know my econ 101 teacher drew me and this is correct And I mean it makes sense in that very simplified model, but it's a it's a super simplified model It's leaving out a ton of stuff mm. the actual research on minimum wage doesn't really show Conclusively, that there's any loss in employment. So, I mean, I don't want to go off too much about that. So I'll just go back to your question about parents. So, I mean, I do think that the market, there's definitely ways you can harness that power in the market to do things that are going to make change happen quickly and efficiently. Um, one thing, I mean, the Scandinavian countries, just, I think, do a really fantastic job of supporting moms. They, I read a study or something about one of these countries, and I don't remember which one, but maybe Norway, or Finland and they gave dads like paternity leave, like paid paternity leave. Mm. And they initially found that the dads weren't really using it. And I was not that surprised in a way when I read that because I think that even happens here in the US that men don't even fully use the paternity leave that they have. And it's because they feel that pressure, like I gotta be back at work, you know? Mm -hmm. They really feel that pressure to put in the face time at work, I mean, my husband has that. And I mean, I could talk about that more, but... um, It's really hard to break those social norms and stuff even if you're offering them like hey you can stay home with your child and we'll be paying you during that time so they kind of added some extra incentive where they're saying if you don't use this time you're not going to get this sort of extra bonus of like more I think it was more maternity leave time for the mom or something that you could sort of earn but only if the dad does the paternity leave
0: Hello glorious listeners. We will return momentarily to our conversation with Econ Mom, but first a quick word from our sponsors. This episode of Barbarian Noetics is brought to you by Barbers. When you need to get your hair cut, go to a barber. Barbers. They're there to cut your hair. We were also brought to you today by bottles. When you need to carry something, get a bottle. Do you need to carry water? a bottle bottles they help you carry things we're also brought to you by candles in case of societal apocalypse have candles so you can have light candles when there's no electricity have candles and finally we're brought to you by pigs pigs they're as smart as dogs pigs all right thank you so much and we will return now to our conversation with econ mom Montana calling back again we're gonna pick up where we left off on uh, our conversation today and uh, we were speaking about um, the the blessed Scandinavians specifically the Norwegians and how they have um, actual incentives to encourage the dads to use the paternity leave that they're given that um, if they don't use all the paternity leave then um, there's other benefits that they don't receive and so it actually kind of like subverts the the typical uh, ethos of like oh i'm the man i have to go to work and it it turns it on its head and instead says i'm the man i have to stay home with my kids
1: (laughs) (laughs) right exactly
0: (laughs) yeah which i think is like do you know any statistics on that if like i'm assuming that that's been wildly successful
1: it was yeah i should go back and look it up again i don't remember but i remember kind of reading that The initial paternity leave by itself wasn't successful because of what you're just saying. That sort of ethos, like that just standard social pressure that men have to be at work all the time. But then as soon as they did add those incentives, the men started using the paternity leave and also, you know, reported that they loved it. I mean, they were happier. Their whole family was happier. Everyone was totally
0: on board with it and enjoyed it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Why can't we just be like the Scandinavians in every way?
1: I know. know. (laughs) Almost every way. I mean, there's some great things about America, but yeah, they're doing a lot, right? The rampant
0: wintertime alcoholism, I guess I can do without that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. The only one thing, just like if we're going to talk about Scandinavian, and this is like totally anecdotal, but one thing I've read on like other mom blogs about Scandinavia is that there's a little bit of like conformity pressure there, which I feel... Sounds like a little bit worse than here Mm -hmm. in terms of how you raise your kids and because they have universal daycare, like everyone uses it. And so there's actually more pressure to use it versus if you wanted to be a stay at home mom. And I kind of wonder how that plays out for special needs kids personally, since like for my son in particular, being autistic, like not every daycare situation worked perfectly for him. So, you know, that's one issue that I'm not sure how they handle over there.
0: Yeah. uh Yeah. really quick kind of ten, tangentially off of that. Um, do you feel like, so as a, as a mom of a child that is on the autistic spectrum, would you, do you think it's best, um, to have like a integrated daycare where like, you know, it's just everyone thrown in together, or do you think it would be beneficial to have like daycare specifically tailored to kids that are on the autistic spectrum?
1: Um, you know, that's such a great question. I mean, I guess I'll say a little bit, it depends because, um, like, for my son, he has been in kind of mainstream daycares, and I just sort of found that there's there's a variety within mainstream daycare. So, like, some worked for him and some didn't. So it kind of just, they need to be flexible. And I think everyone, pretty much everyone in the world, but especially educators, needs just more training on kind of what autism means and how you can support that. Because there's a lot of simple ways to support it just within a mainstream environment. But at the same time, there are kids with more severe needs where – it might be hard to get them in a mainstream environment no matter what. So you kind of need to have a range of options. Um, you definitely want to have them with typically developing peers if possible, I would say, but not like everything with autism is kind of this balance, right? Like I wouldn't yeah. say like push, push being with typical peers at all costs and like stress your child out. I mean the biggest thing is like you don't want to stress your child out. Because right. like the world is stressful for all of us and it's like, more stressful a lot of times for autistic kids because they just have a lot of them have less sensory filters like we are filtering right. stuff out constantly and like if they're not able to do that we don't really realize how hard that is on them just day to day
0: yeah i mean i've had some psychedelic experiences where i can't filter out sensory input and let me tell you it is intense
1: <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah just, so you know what i'm saying then yeah. i mean it's <laughs> like yeah, you should like talk to my son sometimes. I mean, he'll get what you're saying there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> um, right on. So um, before we get too uh, far ahead on on a random tangent, I wanted to um, bring you back to when we, um, when we were talking about having this conversation, you mentioned that you had just had a, a jury duty experience and you mentioned that it was um, kind of unique and a little bit bizarre and you wanted to share the story of it and I would love uh, to uh,
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it was my first time, you know, I've made it through, like, 30-some years of my life without being even, like, going through the jury selection process, and I actually went there, showed up, and got all the way to the point where I was put on this jury. So, you know, first of all, I just want to explain, like, the whole process from the beginning. So I get to the courthouse. This is a Tuesday morning, and there's this giant room. I felt like I was in this, like, human processing center, and it's this very brand new building too and it felt kind of sci-fi ish almost like yeah. you're just so like welcome. sitting there waiting <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting it, yeah it wasn't like cozy um but you know you're sitting there and just like waiting and then you know they kind of show you this introductory video and you're all watching that and then they call your name over a microphone they're like you know these people report to department you know 2207 on floor blah 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 and so you march up there I was in a group of 55 people so we had actually waited most of the day and our names were called at about 3pm and at that point I had already been hoping I was going to get to go home but no such luck so we go into the room and the judge says well it's already too late in the day to finish this process so all of you just need to come back tomorrow morning and then we'll do jury selection so we're all like Oh my gosh. Okay, great. So we're all telling our employers, hey, we're not going to be in tomorrow either. And we all show up the next morning. And then they go through that whole process where the lawyers are asking you questions. And um, this turned out to be a drug case. So like, for example, one of the questions was, do you believe that all drugs should be legalized? And, you know, maybe I should have raised my hand then because I would have been dismissed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How Um, how many people raised their hands when they asked that?
1: Um, I think it was
0: three, like two or three. It wasn't it was like, But like, yeah,
1: and they all, they all were dismissed. The three Go dudes figure.
0: with Rasta hats? i like,
1: <laughs> you know what? You Well, one was like a college kid. And then the other two were just like ladies. I think one of them was from Bellingham. Like she had mentioned Bellingham, which kind of
0: made me laugh. Well, that
1: I know, because I lived in Washington for a long time, so I'm like, I get that. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so, you know, long story short, by the end of the second day, we've narrowed it down to who's on the jury, and I was one of the lucky 12 that was on there, and then we listened to the case, and the case was about an undercover cop who got a man to sell him a small amount of methamphetamines, and then, you know, the man was arrested. So how small of an amount? You know, they said it was like 0. 0.8 grams, and I mean, honestly, I don't know anything about methamphetamine, but it sounded like that was, you know, less than like about a day's worth of sort of like a medium to heavy user of meth, I so guess. I don't know. Like a
0: ten dollar transaction or something.
1: It was, yeah, it was a twenty dollar transaction. Twenty dollar, so. okay. Yeah, so it was like you know, not a huge drug bust kind of thing. Oh, no, I would. Say and this not. guy. He, I, It sounded very much like he was not someone who supplies drugs. Like, he went over to a group of men and kind of exchanged the money for the drugs and brought it back to the undercover cop. And when they searched this man, like, they didn't find any other drugs or paraphernalia or anything on him or any cash. All they had found on him was his backpack, which had some toiletries and clothing in it. So, you know, the defense kind of tried to make the case that he was a transient man. I mean, we can't really prove that, I guess, either way. But... It sounded like that was the case, so I essentially felt like, okay, here's a police officer sort of you know, essentially taking advantage of a homeless man and getting him to supply him some drugs in exchange for a $5 tip.
0: Yeah, and also like if the guy went over to a group of men and obviously procured the drugs from them, like why are they focusing on the transient guy with the backpack? Seems like, well, I
1: mean, I think in theory, they would have tried to arrest one of the other men as well. And it wasn't clear to me. They didn't really get into the details of that in the case. But whether they didn't make another arrest because they couldn't see which person supplied the drugs or if just because they all ran away or something, or like why they couldn't okay. bust I see. those guys. I think they did kind of attempt to. I guess the way it works is there's kind of a team of cops kind of hiding in the background, right? And once it all goes down, they kind of... Swoop in or whatever.
0: So I'm imagining like, a I, bunch of I, cops hiding in the bushes.
1: <laughs> like, I, I think the thing is they're like a little bit farther away because they're, they're like in their car or something. So I know it's not like that stealthy. I don't think.
0: I don't think so. <laughs> One of the cops was actually like supposed to be selected for the jury duty, but he's like, I think drugs should be legal. <laughs> I live in the park.
1: <laughs> oh man! I mean, oh my gosh! <laughs> So basically, so at the end of the day, what happened is this cop was wearing a wire and stuff. So part of the evidence was the whole conversation that they had that had been recorded. And so there really wasn't any question as to whether this man did supply the drugs. And the defense didn't try to argue that he didn't. They just said that he was entrapped. So the case came down to like, what does entrapment mean? And then was this a case of entrapment or not? And, you know, ultimately, I found just based on the definition of was entrapment that it was not. But I felt like it's still a screwed up thing, you know, that this man could really be taken advantage of in that way, and yet that's actually legal. I mean, it was legal for the police officer to lie to him multiple times when he directly asked, like, are you a cop? Are you wearing wire? The guy said, no, no, no.
0: Yeah, it sounds like they need to update their, uh, we need to update our, our definition of what entrapment is. Because if it's so vague that it doesn't really offer any protection, then then there is no protection against entrapment.
1: Right. I mean, I think it protects against, like, really egregious, like, if he had bribed him with a huge amount of money or something like that. But, like, the $5 was kind of, like, supposedly just the going right for that type of transaction. So I felt like I couldn't really argue that it was entrapment because he wasn't, like, bribed outside of just the normal transaction cost for such a thing.
0: But I I still
1: felt like it was just
0: screwed up. (laughs) It just seems like such a strange use of resources to take like 12 people away. You said you missed, everyone missed two days of work, right? Because the first day was spent waiting.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's 55 of us who missed two full days of work and then 12, I mean, plus two alternates. So like 14 people missed a third day of work. And then 12 of us missed a fourth day of work because we actually spent the entire fourth day, I mean, from beginning to end debating. And by the end of the day, we ended up being a hung jury because there was one person who did believe it was entrapment and and you know Because that law is written in a somewhat vague way. I mean there's words like coaxing I mean did the police officer coax him? I mean, well, that's super vague, right? So this person said yeah He was entrapped and wouldn't um, budge on that. And so we said, you know what? We're not all gonna agree. So It ends up being a
0: hung jury. So when it's a hung jury, does that mean that the man walks?
1: It wasn't totally clear to me what was gonna happen. I think it's possible they can retry the case, but I think it's highly likely that it's just gonna be done and he's free, but I'm not sure. It's
0: just like, where are we allocating our resources? That just seems so, I I understand that like, you don't want people selling meth on the street, but like, I think we should focus on people selling it to kids at schools and stuff. And you know what I mean? Like, I just think we need to be using our resources better. That just seems outrageous.
1: No, I agree. I agree. And I mean, I just felt like this man obviously just didn't have the best start in life, most likely. I mean, he actually, I probably shouldn't say too many details about the case, but he actually mentioned at one point in the conversation that like my mom got caught up in something like this, like kind of asking the guy whether he was a cop. So it implied to me that his mom had had problems with drugs. And you just think about how much, you know, we're talking about working moms, how much resources we pour into our children at this young age. And we still worry about whether they're going to turn out okay. And then you think someone whose mom was doing drugs—like, how did he have a chance in life? I mean, it's just so completely unfair.
0: And once again, uh, bringing back the Scandinavians into the, the equation, um, they have—they—they—I yeah. uh, I, don't—I'm not like 100% sure on the exact wording of their law, but I'm pretty sure that they don't criminalize drugs, and if, instead they offer treatment programs for even like folks that are addicted to like hardcore like heroin or meth or whatever they instead of just arresting them and throwing them in jail they offer treatment programs and it sounds like like that is where that's a good use of resources because then it's like oh yeah
1: yeah. absolutely because with i like that way better
0: (laughs) this gentleman it just sounds like he had a rough and tumble upbringing his mom was into drugs he's semi-transient he's probably just trying to he's probably just trying to raise money so he can like have a bed that night you know it costs about 20 bucks i think for for someone to get a bed for a night and that's probably yeah oh
1: I mean, he probably wanted somewhere to sleep or something to eat I mean and yeah. that and so it brings me to another point that I thought about a lot during this process which is like what is representation in a jury I mean there's kind of two issues that I noticed as I went through this is first of all as a mom I mean I noticed that if you're the primary caregiver for someone from eight to five you're automatically excused from serving on a jury hmm. Which I thought was kind of weird because that's, like, a giant swath of the population, I mean, and it's mostly female, right? Like, moms that are raising children yeah, are, like, from sure. being on a jury. And, I mean, I totally get that you don't want to, like, force these moms to come and do jury duty. But at the same time, it's just, like, food for thought. I mean, what could we do to make it, like, easier for them? Like, maybe provide child care or think about, you know, just another reason why men should be doing childcare too. So, at least it's kind of a, a split, like, gender split of who... Is exempt from jury duty, right?
0: Yeah, and I know, like, uh, this is something we were talking about earlier too. How, like, um, the reason why they don't want people, for example, like, uh, uh, like tele—I don't know what the term would be—but like teleconferencing in for jury duty is supposedly because they don't want people doing their own independent research on, like, the background of the case and the history of prior legal precedent. But, like, right. why not? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me if you're talking about, like. <laughs> Like, it's a pretty big stake for the person who's who's being, stands accused. Like, they could go to jail for a really long time. Like, wouldn't you want people deciding their fate to be educated on, like, the legal precedents of the case? So strange.
1: I know. Yeah, I didn't totally get that either. I totally agree with you. I don't know. Because <laughs> then you
0: could, I mean, if we thought outside the box about things, and if they wanted to, like, you know, they could uh, have people sign certain waivers, like saying, you know, like, I promise not to, um, like, if there's certain... I don't know. Obviously, you can't talk to other people about the case. You can't like have someone sitting in the room with you while you're like teleconferencing in. But it just seems like if we thought outside the box, we couldn't include like you say, single moms. There's no reason why no single mom should ever be able to stand on a jury. That that's outrageous.
1: Right. I think that is something to really like think about. And then another point is just the fact that like if this man was transient, which he probably was, I think. You know, were any of the 12 of us transient? Like, no, of course not, right? I mean, had any of the 12 of us even, like, ever briefly in our life been transient, ever been hungry, you know? Like, how do we really serve as his peers? Like, I don't know if that's really right.
0: That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, what about, uh, why can't... There's plenty of transient people that are plenty intelligent and could easily sit on the jury. Like, people are transient for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, if you have mental health issues and stuff, like... No matter whether you're trans or not, like maybe you shouldn't be on a jury, right? But like definitely there's just a wider range of representation that we could get, I think, if
0: we uh – I mean I think uh, we should have a reality TV show about mentally unsound people on a jury. I think that
1: would be pretty sure. <laughs> That would be like the most America thing
0: ever to do. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, uh, it would be uh, like Judge Judy but it would be like deranged jury. <laughs>
1: Goodness. well you know what this i i probably need to wrap this up really quick because i hear some uh, disturbances with my children out uh, side so yes. of my
0: hair so. okay sounds good well hey um econ mom thank you so much for being a guest on barbarian noetics and um before i let you go uh would you like to plug your blog one more time
1: oh yeah thank you well it's been so fun to be a guest on your show and yes our blog is www.momson11.com and that's the number 11 1 so, every once in a while, when we have time, we write some very insightful pieces about the struggle of being a working mom. So, definitely check it out.
0: Great. And uh, we hope to have you on the podcast again soon.
1: Yeah, that would be awesome. Thanks so much.
0: All right. Enjoy your Labor Day.
1: Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. Oh,